So good morning. I'd like to just comment on a way we might hold the instructions, which is lightly. And the reason is because it's really one size fits, you know, just a certain number of people. And it's mostly an experiment for each of us as after we've gotten the different ingredients as to what right in this moment or this time in my life most serves freedom, what most lets me wake up. And I find a useful way to understand the whole package is that the most basic practice, if you want to call it practice, is resting in awareness, in this open wakefulness that's our that's our unconfused nature. It's what we are when we're not caught up. Just resting in that, being that. And that the Buddha and other teachers through history have offered a range of skillful means, 86,000 plus, you know, supposedly, that incline us towards that natural presence, that help our minds uh, untangle and relax back open again. And to give you three examples of those skillful means, and I, and I do this on purpose because it's easy to mistake in the skillful means as this is the meditation, our, our goal is this. Uh, the, one of the skillful means is to choose an object that we're going to attend to and come back again and again. And to deepen that, we can concentrate and rest the attention as steadily as possible on the breath or on whatever our object is. And there's a powerful and beautiful outcome, which is the busyness of the mind quiets and there becomes this steadiness of the mind and this lucidity, this clarity, which really inclines us towards deep presence and insight. So especially when the mind is all over the place, using an anchor, a home base, is a skillful means. It helps us to collect the attention. A second skillful means is metta, is using some way of paying attention that lets the heart soften and open because there's no way we can have insight into the nature of reality if our heart's armored and tense. So they go beautifully hand in hand, whether it's messages or an image of something that helps your heart to open or just touch. But something, metta includes anything that lets this heart come back to its natural openness. A third skillful means is a purposeful application of mindfulness. Mindfulness is a purposeful attention. And RAIN is a description of that, where when there's a tangle, we bring a mindful attention to untangle the tangle by recognizing what's going on as sensations, as emotions, by recognizing it and then allowing it to be there and then deepening the attention as we investigate, not conceptually, it's not a mental investigation. It's a kind of feeling into what's there, bringing our interest and our care And it's through that process of presencing with rain that it untangles the tangle. We reopen back to a natural awareness. 
the basic thing that shifts, we're no longer identified. That's the gift of rain. We go from the, let's say, the scared, identified, fearful self to the presence that's aware. We reopen into our naturalness. So I invite you to just hold that kind of open perspective on the instructions and know that we offer these basic elements and you then really need to trust your own instincts as to, well, right now I may need, rather than metta, I may need really to um, just investigate what's going on here. Or rather than rain, I may need to just simply offer metta just to, to soften and open. And just, this is where you begin to be the, the artist that's really, you know, you've got all the colors of, to paint with of the palette and you're beginning to create, it's your own creation that's really enabling you to find your way home. So let me um, see now, we have about 10 minutes. If, if anyone has questions, yeah, we have right there. Yesterday, Jonathan talked about um, sometimes sloth and torpor can be a um, move into a different state of consciousness. And I'm just wondering um, how one would know the difference. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question. Every one of the challenging forces that Jonathan named, whether it's wanting or not liking or doubt or, or sloth and torpor, it only becomes what's called a hindrance if we're identified with it. A hindrance, Jonathan mentioned the word covering. What it's really covering is the radiance of our true nature. So if you're sleepy and then you get identified with sleepiness, this is bad, this shouldn't be happening, you lose sight of a sense of a, a sense of a kind of a wholeness, then it becomes a hindrance. But if instead, the bodies come into a real calm that might not be so familiar. That calm, if, if, and if you don't like react to it and try to control it or anything, can actually become a portal to a very relaxed yet profoundly lucid state. So the thing to watch out for, is there any reaction to what's going on? If, you have, if, if there's sleepiness and no reaction, then it becomes a natural portal to a a fuller presence. And it's the same thing with wanting. Wanting mind is not a hindrance unless there's a strong identification that says, I want, I have to have, I can't be happy unless I get. And so there's a self that senses not enough. Desire on its own becomes a portal to freedom if we just pay attention to it, we open right back into the very essence of aliveness, of life-loving aliveness. So I'm bringing, I'm expanding my response because every one of these challenging forces has within it the ingredients of freedom. Not liking can have an incredible discrimination if there's not a self identified with it. Does that make sense? You can go into any one of them. And if there's not identification, it becomes part of an expression of, or a taste of, freedom. Are you puzzled? Then take the mic back and and please tell me. Uh, I've had this happen on other retreats. Um, When I get really quiet, I just start getting a flood of images. 
and I think it can lead to dreaminess. Mm -hmm. I'm not altogether gone. I think there's some awareness of what's happening, mm -hmm. and I tend to pull myself back. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious about that. Yeah. So, and I, I think you've actually named it right that it's it's a different brainwave state, and you've got more access to kind of the some of the hypnagogic states that come through that, and if there's a reaction like something's wrong or this shouldn't be happening or I need to control it, there will be a tightening. If there's a, a po and yet sometimes it, it feels like such a strong current that you feel like a need to come back and open your eyes or something. But if there's a possibility of just naming, and, and this is where mindfulness becomes a balancing factor, where if you just, very slight naming of what's happening, you'll find that the attention becomes a little more fresh and bright and you're not so caught in a trance. So try that, and then if you need to do something a little more dramatic to, to be more alert, then do so. So I think I trust your instincts on that and, and investigate a little more. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, could you explain again the hindrance? For instance, we're talking about wanting, like wanting it's not a hindrance when this happens. Yeah. I, mean, I was kind of grasping it, but not fully. Yeah, so this is, it's an important question because one of the misunderstandings about Buddhism is that desire is bad. And desire, like everything else, it's just a natural energy that arises. In fact, we wouldn't exist without desire, so it's integral to existence. And yet our tendency is to become identified with it so you can have a desire to connect with another person, but if it becomes a grasping, and so your sense of self is my well-being is, is um, hinged to having what I want, then the desire becomes a hindrance because there's a contracting away from a, a more full sense of presence and wakefulness. But if desire just, it just arises and it's just a set of sensations and there's a presence with it, then it has a lot of aliveness. And if you actually begin to investigate desire, that, that longing or that wanting, it's said that uh, John O'Donohue has this beautiful line that prayer is the bridge between longing and belonging, that your desire when you turn back right into its source takes you home to what you're longing for because what we desire is always and already here. There's just a slight not knowing of it. So its presentation actually can draw you back home if you don't fix on the object. So it's how to skillfully move with it, but if there's a lot of fixation on the object, it becomes an obscuration. Does that make sense? A little bit, if I could go a little further. Yeah. Something that Jonathan said last night, which was, um, and you mentioned it also, like going into the root of the cause. Mm -hmm. And there's you know, so many thoughts firing through. How do, you, how do you get to sorting them to say, oh, I definitely have a wanting theme, or I have a, a not liking theme, or whatever it might be? So example, um, let's say, again, I'll use the example of attraction to another person, and you have this longing to be in relationship and be close and be intimate with another person and it's a really strong longing. And if your mind and your attention keeps going to the other person, then there'll be a tightening and a grasping. 
But if instead you feel the sense of wanting and then you go into your body to where you feel the longing, where you feel the, the, the warmth and the tingling and the aliveness and that, that energy or that passion, and you keep going deeper and deeper right into that, right into the felt sense itself till you inhabit it, in those moments you actually discover a universe of belonging. So you, you belong to the experience versus the object that you're focusing on. Similarly, with not wanting, when there's a, a strong aversion, if you bring a profound presence to strong aversion, your sense of being becomes the presence itself. And you have the energy that was there of the not liking, but you, there's a shift, and it's not, I don't like this, you become the presence that's aware. And that shift is the key to all transformation in the path of mindfulness. That rather than I am being mindful of an object, you become the awareness itself. And so there's an opening out of that identification. So it doesn't matter whether you're paying attention to disliking something, our attraction to something, our sleepiness, it doesn't matter what happens. When you awaken this presence, this wakefulness, this openness, you become that wakeful openness. And the object is just coming and going, but you're not hitched to it. Now, if those still sound like a lot of words, <laughs> which I'm sure they do for, for um, some, then what you can trust is just keep coming into the moment. And uh, I need to finish up right now. So to say the, the most useful um, phrase that Pema Chodron offered, I think, to us, it helps again and again, is start right where you are. And one of the teachings with these challenging forces is that they're not in the way of your meditation. They are a portal. And the more quickly you remember, oh, this too, this is my entry. And just simply bring a interest and a kindness to it. It will carry you home back to that wholeness of awareness. So just start with exactly what's right in front of you. So thank you for your question.